and so glad that you are able to join with us tonight. We're going to be finishing up a series. You can turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're not going to look at verses 1 to 15. We're actually just going to look at verses 1 to 5. When I had set that text out uh, uh, earlier this week to Christine, um, that's what I sent. But as I began to study this, there's so much in just the first five verses that we're just going to park there tonight. I do have uh, a couple of, of different announcements to make. Uh, next Sunday night, Pastor Wyman will be starting a series uh, on Sunday nights, preaching for uh, three weeks. And so you'll want to be sure uh, to be here for what the Lord has laid on his heart. Encourage him and uh, see what the Lord has for you in that series. Also, um, I heard yesterday from Mike Falkenberry, Janice's sister, um, she'd had um, some issues and it had a medical procedure back in December. And so they took a lot of x-rays and they saw some things there that concerned them. And so uh, just a couple days ago, they got the results back from those x-rays and she has, Janice's sister has cancer in several organs. And um, the doctor said that if she doesn't uh, have uh, any kind of treatment that they give her about three months to live. So please be praying for the Falkenberries and for Janice's sister and their family for God's wisdom and direction um, in what they should do there. I just thought that I would let you know about that so that you can be praying. And if you'd like to reach out to Mike and Janice to give them some encouragement, I'm sure that would be a blessing and a help to them. I also want to let you kind of know where we are in pursuing uh, our next music pastor. And uh, we are not going to be pursuing Pastor uh, Andrew Felber any further. Um, just so that you know, please pray with us that God would direct us. God just made some things clear um, that this is not the fit uh, for our church at this time. And so we're thankful for God's direction. Um, we're, we're waiting on God's timing. And so please be praying with us. And uh, we are excited about what God is going to do because we know that God has a perfect plan. And as we are continuing the process as best as we can with our limited human means, um, uh, we are seeking God's face and we know that he's not going to let us miss his will because we want his glory uh, to be accomplished here at Berean Baptist Church and we want the right fit uh, for uh, our church here. So please be praying with us about that. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to be looking tonight at the subject of the joy of giving. And uh, I want to just encourage you again, I think I mentioned this uh, maybe last week. If you have not read The Treasure Principle, let me encourage you to get that little book not very expensive. As a matter of fact, for our college and career class, we're actually going through the study book. There's actually a study book that you can get with where you look up passages and there's questions and then there's discussion questions for class. So that's what we're going to go through um, as a class. Um, and uh, we're going to also talk about some other different things, questions that come up about how can I please God with my finances as a believer. But I want us to look tonight at the joy of giving. And I'm telling you, uh, that's a great little book uh, that'll just kind of remind you of some things and keep you on track and keep your perspective where it is because it's very biblical, very practical. But I just want to talk about the joy of giving tonight. And let me start even before we look in this passage because in this passage, uh, we see that the Macedonians... Now, isn't that interesting? Because the Macedonians were, that was the region we were talking about this morning, right? Last couple of weeks we've been looking at. And these Macedonians were in, in, a, in a, a terrible state of poverty. We don't know exactly sure what is happening. Uh, some historians say that there was a terrible famine um, in that part of the world at that time and that they were hit in the Macedonian region especially hard. So that it may be that. It could be some other things. We're not sure. But nevertheless, 
uh, these Macedonians uh, had promised that they were going, the Corinthians, because it's written to the Corinthians, the Corinthians uh, had promised that they were also going to give towards the, those who were in even greater distress in Jerusalem. And that's what the Macedonians had done. And so Paul is bringing up to the Corinthians, hey, I want to remind you uh, of the wonderful example that, that should challenge you in your giving to the Jerusalem church as you see their example and their testimony of how they gave. And so we're going to look at that tonight, and I trust that it will challenge us in a, in a new way and encourage us in joyful giving. I've had the privilege, even here at Brain Baptist Church, as I've had in other instances, uh, even before I came here as pastor, to sometimes um, in a church have somebody that has a need, and somebody else will come to me and say, I don't want anybody to know that I'm doing this. I know that that family has this specific need, and I want to give towards that need. And they'll hand me an envelope with cash uh, to give to that person. And you know that is just a, such a cool thing to see that God working that evident grace in the lives of those that, are, that, uh, that God has blessed and that God has answered the prayers of those who are in need and how encouraged they are uh, that God answered their prayer. So let's look at our text. We'll read the first five verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and make some comments. Again, this is going to sound familiar because this, this, this first couple of verses are what I read this morning uh, before we took our offering. So if you're like, where did I hear that before? This is where, all right? Just heard it this morning. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, do you see this? The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. In America, we don't think of deep joy and deep poverty as going together, do we? When we think of deep poverty, we think of misery. But let me tell you for the Christian, and I'm sure Pastor Sweat, who's traveled around the world to different mission fields, and those of you that have traveled to third world type countries, that you know what, there are Christians who are in poverty, but they are in deep joy. Not necessarily because of the poverty, but because they have the Savior. And maybe part of it is because they have a lot uh, looser grasp on the things of this world. Because they don't have as much. And so they are much more free to give that which they realize really isn't theirs and that everything is a gift of God's grace. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. In verse 3, for, their, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. The first thing I want you to see tonight is that their joyful generosity was the result of God's grace in them. I mentioned this this morning. I'll mention it again tonight that giving is a work of God's grace in the life of a believer. That anytime you see a genuinely generous, joyfully generous believer, you will know that God has done a great work of his grace in their life to bring them to that point. Folks, give me a little bit of verbal feedback. Are we naturally selfless or selfish? Selfish. Selfish. But how about our God? He is so generous. He is so giving. How about our Savior? He's so giving. And we are to reflect his character and we are to follow as his disciples. If our master is generous and holds nothing back, 
then we also ought to be generous and hold nothing back. And giving, not grudgingly, but joyfully. And these Macedonians did that. When you realize, as I was meditating, I, I, I wrote down some notes, and here's one of the things that, that I thought about and wrote down for tonight. When you realize that you are the recipient of the constant flood of God's grace, you want to become a conduit of his grace to others, whether giving in the, to the ministry of your local church, to missionaries, Christian organizations, such as camps or colleges, or to an individual in need. Man, when you, re, when you realize that all that you have and all that you are is by the very grace of God, that it is all a gift to you, and that you are a steward of that. We looked at stewardship last Sunday night. Man, that ought, to, that ought to produce within us then the response of, Lord, as you pour your blessing on me, let me be a conduit of blessing to others. Lord, it took, you know, it took resources for the gospel to get out where I was confronted with the gospel, maybe through a local church or through maybe a radio ministry or a Christian camp or something. There were Christians financially supporting those ministries that equipped and enabled those ministries to be able to give the gospel where you could hear the gospel and trust Christ as your savior. And so when you realize that you are investing in the gospel, and you know what? We also talked about this uh, when we talked about tithing a couple of Sundays, uh, Sunday nights ago. Now, when we give in the general tithes and offerings of the local church here at Berean Baptist Church, it goes towards things like Sunday school materials, uh, uh, you know, children's church curriculum, uh, adult Sunday school curriculum, all kinds of different things like that. So we're investing in discipling and equipping believers and helping them to mature in Christ and to be grounded in the faith. And you know, we have all been the recipients of other Christians' generosity who have invested their finances or their time being willing to sacrifice and study through the week and teach uh, and answer questions and study. And, and those that have mentored us, uh, those that have discipled us, there are folks that have invested so much in us. That's all of God's grace. And you know, shouldn't we want to be a conduit that then pours that out? Why is the Dead Sea so stagnant? You know that you can actually float on the Dead Sea without trying because the salt is so dense in the Dead Sea. My, I can remember my brother Brent one time, we were, we were kids and we were in different Sunday school classes and after Sunday school class he came to me, had a little vial like this. His Sunday school teacher had been to uh, Israel and had bought a bunch of these little bottles like this and it had water from the Dead Sea in it. And uh, my brother, uh, being uh, probably more brave than having brains, uh, pulled a little stopper out of that thing and tipped it over to taste what that was like. And he about threw up. I mean, just a little tip of that water. I mean, it's just, it's nasty. But why is the Dead Sea so nasty? You got the Jordan River flowing into it from the Sea of Galilee, right? But what's the problem? There's no outlet. And there are a lot of Christians who have received the God's grace is often uh, like, like in James. He giveth more grace. That word more means superabundant grace. And the idea is of a river that has overflowed its banks. God's grace is not something that he dispenses with a little baster or an eyedropper. God dispenses his grace like with a fire hose. And it is a constant flow. It's not intermittent. It is constant. 
And it is always more than enough to meet the need. And that's been flowing into our lives. But you know what? A lot of Christians become like the Dead Sea. You know what they do? They come and they sit and they stew and they soak and they sour. Sponges are meant to soak up and then be wrung out. But when you're a soap, that just keeps soaking it up and soaking it up and you're never wrung out. You're not fulfilling the purpose that God has for your life as a believer. And when we pour out the word of God, it is not merely for your information or even just for your encouragement. It is for your edification that you would grow in Christ, that you would be equipped, and that you would then wring out your life, investing in your brothers and sisters in Christ and also in unbelievers. And I'm not just talking about finances here. A lot of people can be very generous with their finances, but very stingy with their time or with their affections or with their friendships. And though we're looking at finances, that's the primary application, and that's the application within our context. But their joyful generosity was the result of God's grace upon them. Second of all, look at verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. I believe that when you look at that word affliction, it's often connected. It's not solely, it is not only persecution, but I believe that Part of their deep poverty not only was that there was a famine, but that, well, it's the Christians' fault somehow that we have this because these Christians, they have, they have convinced some people to turn from worshiping these false gods like the gods of the harvest, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And man, we used to prosper, and now all of a sudden we have this famine, and it's because we don't have any, as many people praying to the harvest gods or whatever, the rain gods or whatever. And so Christians are going to get blamed. So guess who gets persecuted? Yeah, then the Christians get persecuted, right? Fired from their jobs or on some sort of a pretense, get their houses stolen out from underneath them and get kicked out. Or, or people won't sell them the goods that they need to continue to exist. So they were, I believe part of this is a persecution, not only the famine, but that there was a persecution there. But you know what? There, here's the second statement. First one was their joyful generosity was the result of God's grace upon them. Number two, their joyful giving was not dictated by their circumstances. Christians, Christian giving does not depend on material circumstances so much as spiritual convictions. Christian giving flows from the heart. It is the expression of love to Christ for his full and free salvation. So, my joyful giving is not dictated by my circumstances. These Macedonians, they were in deep poverty. And yet their faith in God was such and their joy in giving and being a part of what God was doing and wanting to have a part and wanting to invest was so deep that they did not allow their circumstances to dictate their giving. And then look in verse 3. A couple of points from verse 3. For to their power I bear record, and beyond their power they were willing to give of themselves. So they gave according to their ability, which wasn't very much. The dollar amount was not impressive. And you know, I've had people that have said to me something that sounds so spiritual on the surface, but really is carnal right underneath. They'll say, well, well I, you know, I just, I don't give in the offering because I just can't give that much. And I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed how little I can afford to give. Okay? 
And if that is true, if you're giving because you've been the recipient of God's grace and you want to worship him, you're going to be like the widow with the two mites. You're not going to care who sees you only put in whatever that amount is because you're not doing it for the praise of men. You're doing it for God and you're giving it to him. And your 10% of your tithe, uh, God esteems as great a value as the person who can give 10 times as much in their tithe because it's not the amount, it's the heart in that I am faithfully worshiping God. I'm walking in obedience. I'm giving of tithes. I'm giving of offerings as God enables me and to my power. My power may not be very much. The dollar amount may not be very much, but God is not as impressed with the amount as he is with the heart. But I also want you to see the other thing in verse 3 is that they gave beyond their ability. Which means in proportion to what they had, they gave in an incredibly sacrificial way. Have you ever been on a mission trip and experienced the joyful, sacrificial generosity of those who are in far greater need than you? The sincerity of their joy in giving to meet your needs while you're with them is truly convicting. At least it has been for me. And then look in verse 4. The Bible says, praying us. And this word praying is the idea of to besiege, to beg. And, and it's kind of like this idea of this word. is not, not that it was just one time that they asked. It was like this was, there was this continual asking. It was almost like they were arguing with Paul and convincing them. Trying to convince Paul and his team, take this. We want to be a part of this. Matter of fact, it says that in verse 4, that we would receive the gift and, and if you look in your King James Bible, you'll see take upon us is in italics. What does that mean? It means it was added to make sense, right? And I believe that the translators were very careful. I believe that is appropriate. But the idea here is that they begged us to receive the gift so that they could be part of the fellowship of giving to the Jerusalem believers. They said, don't, we don't want to miss out on this. Please let us give. We know that we are under persecution. We know that we have deep poverty. So what? Our circumstances don't dictate our giving or our joyful spirit in giving. Don't rob us of the blessing of giving. You know, it's a truly humbling thing what I mentioned before. To go to a place like Kenya or Bolivia, and have people lay out before you food that you know they can't afford themselves. There is a dish in Kenya that literally translates to carry through. And it's made of kale, and sometimes, if they can afford it, a little bit of shavings of carrot in it. But usually it's basically just boiled kale. And the reason it has that word carry through is because it's what you eat when you can't afford anything else. And it carries you through till you get more money and you can afford better food. And to know that these people were willing to eat this boiled kale for, say, three or four weeks instead of for maybe a few days before they got paid again in order to feed us goat and rice which is much more expensive in their economy, or some other dish, was truly humbling. But you know what? We don't want to rob them of the gift of the joy of giving and imparting in the fellowship and investing in the ministry that way we're carrying among them in their country. These Macedonians were begging, please, let us take part. 
We don't have much. But what we have, we want to give to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Don't rob us of having fellowship with, with the Lord and with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are also giving. They were insistent on getting in on the opportunity to give. One commentator said the Macedonians' participation was so voluntary that they pleaded with Paul for the opportunity to contribute, as if Paul did not initiate the idea and was somehow unwilling to allow them to participate. The text makes it clear that the Macedonians begged Paul urgently, as if it took sustained pressure for them to convince Paul that they should participate. Perhaps this implies again that the Macedonians were extremely impoverished and could not really give without depriving themselves. And I added this at the end of that, but it didn't stop them. And then I want you to see in verse 5 that their spirit and action of giving far surpassed Paul's expectations because they had given themselves to the Lord. Look in verse 5. And this they did, not as we hoped. Remember the word hope? Confident expectation? right this they did not as we had hoped but first gave their own selves to the lord and unto us by the will of god now this word first is not indicating uh priority of time but priority of importance so the giving of themselves took precedence over their other gifts as being the motive which led them to give <laughs> i love this one pastor wrote, commenting on this passage, he said, when believers offer themselves wholly to the Lord, they have no difficulty in offering their wallets to him. <laughs> I like that. You know, when I learn that what I am, I am by the grace of God, and what I have, I have by the grace of God, it confirms my faith that God will always supply my needs when I give what he graciously tells me to give. When I acknowledge that God is the owner and I am the steward, it motivates me to prioritize his interests. And when I give what is God's to his purposes, it becomes mine with interest for eternity. As I thought on that, that, that and that's one of my thought, devotional thoughts that I wrote down for myself. I just sat back for a little while and I thought, you know what? Everything that I have... I am a steward, right? It really doesn't belong to me. It all belongs to God. And yet he entrusts me as a steward. But when I take what God has entrusted to me as a steward and I invest it in his kingdom, then what was God's becomes mine with interest for eternity. What an incredibly generous, gracious God we have. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? And I just want to to end this message with several admonitions or encouragements. I think these will hopefully these will be some practical challenges to you. First is this, ask God to graciously work in you a heart of joyful generosity. Folks, this is a supernatural work of God's grace. We are in ourselves naturally selfish. And after that, God has given us, we know, and we looked at this under our message under stewardship, God has given us uh, who are heads of the home, the responsibility to provide for our own families. But sometimes in that, we so prioritize how well we provide for our families that we're not prioritizing the kingdom of God the way that we should. So ask God to graciously work in you a heart of joyful generosity. It is a work of his grace. 
Then two, step out by faith to give, believing that joy follows obedience. You know, we live in a culture, do we not, that says, if it feels right, do it. We live in a culture, and this generation of like our college and career age, you know the way that they make their decisions is not as much based on fact and reason as it often is ultimately how they feel. Now, they'll weigh the facts, and they'll use their reason, but at the end of the day, often the tipping point in the decision-making process is how they feel about it. What's the problem with that? Feelings change. Impressions change, right? So we obey first and the feelings of joy, and, it's more, and joy is more than just a feeling. I believe that joy is a gift of God that he gives to his children who submit to his Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit says give and you obey, part of that is that fruit where you are going to experience joy. And not only you, but those who receive the benefit of your giving. And then I want to encourage you that you'll discover the joy of being a partner with God as he uses your giving to answer the prayers of other believers. It has been so fun for my wife and I to be at times able to do that. It's been fun for us to sometimes be the anonymous go-between and, uh, and then go back and to uh, relate to the person who gave um, what the response was of those who received it and how God used that and how they were rejoicing, how God answered their prayer and how God supplied this need beyond what they could have ever thought and to see the joy in those who gave that gift. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. It is wonderful to be able to have that kind of joy as you partner with God and he uses your giving to answer the prayers of other believers. You'll also discover the joy of giving when you see an unbeliever's heart open to the gospel because they just experienced the love and graciousness of Christ through you. For instance, we have a benevolence fund and we have some of our deacons that are on that team and when a benevolence uh, person comes for help, they fill out a form and then I send it to this team. I ask them to pray about it, contact the person, meet with them. Um, but that person has already come to the office. I've already had an opportunity to sit down with them, hear their story, share the gospel, have a word of prayer with them. And then one of our deacons on that team will also hopefully, again, have that opportunity. And it is so exciting and it's so joyful for us to be able to do that. I was telling our college kids this morning, young people, excuse me, you're not kids. Pardon me. Okay. I was telling them about a story about, because one of the questions came up, well, how do I give responsibly? And the idea is of, what if somebody has one of these signs, we'll work for food, or comes up and says, hey, I need money for food. I haven't eaten in a couple of days. So I'm just going to tell you this, um, just by way of illustration, okay? Um, a number of years ago, my wife and I were in youth ministry in Pennsylvania. We only lived a few hours from Washington, D.C., so we would go over there to Washington, D.C., um, sometimes for a long weekend or a little mini vacation. And on one of those, we were out uh, on, the, on the big lawn, and we're walking, and this big dude came up to me. Big old black guy, bald-headed, you know, and he said, overcoat on. <clears throat> he looked like a Secret Service agent or FBI or something. I, I mean, it looked tough. And he came up to me, and he goes, excuse me, sir. And I thought, oh, man, what did I do? Did I step somewhere I wasn't supposed to step? You're going to throw me in federal prison or something? And he said, sir, I, I haven't eaten in three days. Could you spare some money for some food? I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Kojak. I said, all right, Kojak. I said, you see that hot dog stand over there? He said, yes, sir. He said, I'll take you over there and I will feed you 
as much as you want to eat, whatever you want to eat from that hot dog stand. He says, you're on. The guy ate at least six hot dogs, <laughs> a bucket of fries, drink, and a milkshake. And while we were there and he is scarfing these things down, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with Kojak. I was able to give him a gospel tract and my personal information. I've never heard from him, but God gave me an opportunity to plant the seed. And you know what? That was probably the most fun thing out of that whole vacation. Now, I love spending time with my wife, and we had a great time together. Don't misunderstand. But you know what? That was just so fun because I was able to give a few dollars for some food to meet a need, to maybe open a heart, to at least one time in his life, Kojak could hear the gospel. And folks, there are other opportunities that we have. And if you'd say, well, Pastor Todd, I've got a question. I mean, how do you give and know how to do that? And, and what are kind of the principles or the parameters that you put on that kind of giving? Well, um, in our Sunday school class, we're going to actually have one of, those, uh, one of those sessions coming up within our Bible study. So um, maybe I can let you know when and you can come up and join us for Sunday school. But I'm um, seriously, if you would like to know, I would, I will, I would be glad to talk to you and, and help you walk through that. Going on, never, and I want to give you this admonition, strong admonition, never discourage others from giving as generously as they believe God wants them to give. If your child gets a birthday card with money in it and they want to give it all to Jesus, don't talk them out of that. If they want to give to somebody else that's in need, and they want to empty their piggy bank to do that, if they want to give their bicycle away, if they want to give something to meet somebody else's need, don't talk them out of it. Never discourage others from giving as generously as God has laid it on their heart. Now certainly, as a parent, you've got to teach your children wisdom and discernment and budgeting and financial planning and all of that. But you know what? There are times when God just spontaneously works the desire and the joy of giving to a need. Don't ever discourage that. And so next to that is always gratefully accept the generosity of other believers. When somebody wants to do something for you, accept it. And they may want to come over and do yard work. And they may want to give you a financial gift. They want to maybe want something else for you. And they may not be able to afford it as well as you could afford it. But God has laid that on their heart. Let them do it. Never discourage that. Always graciously accept. Don't rob that person of an opportunity to experience joyful giving. Always allow others to join you in meeting the needs of others. We don't have exclusive rights to meeting somebody else's needs. Ultimately, we know that God is the one who needs the means, needs. We are merely the stewards. So when others may find out what you are doing and they would like to join you in that, allow them to do that. Let them join you in that. And then remember that any gift, regardless of the amount given in joyful generosity, is of eternal value. Jesus said, if you give a cup of water to a child in my name, you've done it unto me. What was Jesus telling his disciples? What's he telling us? There is no gift, no matter how small, when given, motivated by the love of Christ, that goes unnoticed or that is ever forgotten. It holds eternal value. Don't underestimate the true value of your investment.
Remember, when you give what is God's to his causes, to his purposes, it becomes yours with interest in eternity. Shall we pray? Our Father, tonight, I thank you for the many people in our lives when we were in full-time evangelism and even here at Berean that have been so gracious to us over the years and told by your Spirit, moved in their hearts by your grace, they gave to me needs they didn't even know we had. And we rejoice that you answered that prayer. And it taught our children lessons of faith, lessons that have lasted and impressed them, strengthened our faith, and we've been able to use them to tell others and to strengthen their faith. And Lord, what a joy it is to be able to give and to know that what we are doing, whether we are giving to somebody that's in need, that's an unbeliever, or whether we are doing good to those who are of the household of faith, even if it's a cup of cool water, give it in your name. Or whether it is something else done that we know will bring great encouragement and help to that person or to that family. Lord, you will never forget it and you will never fail to credit that to our account with interest because you are a faithful, generous God. And Lord, I pray for those who have not yet experienced in a very full measure the joy of giving, that they would ask you that in your grace you transform their lives and give them that joy. And that, Lord, that we would realize as we have a looser hold on the temporal things of this life, we have a greater longing to reach out for that which is eternal. So, Lord, I pray that we would let go of those temporal things, the trinkets in our hands, so that we can grasp the true riches. May we remember, as Jim Elliott said, that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim, as C.S. Lewis said, nothing that you don't give away is ever truly yours. So, Lord, we rejoice in the privilege to give regardless of our circumstances. I mean, we can joyously and generously as you enable us. Lord, give us discernment and wisdom. We ask wisely, of course, but help us to be faithful stewards of what you've entrusted to us with great joy. Thank you, Lord, that you give to us joyfully. And we pray that you would do a work in each heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand, and Pastor Mike will lead us in the dismissing chorus. Again, if I can be of help to you in any way, I'll be back in the lobby. I'd love to fellowship with you or help you in any way I can.